Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Drew Evans. And I'm Ben Garman. Well, folks, it's just about time for the One Last Time tournament. We're slowly approaching that. And with that in mind, we were hoping to chat about it a little bit, in particular with a competitor who's going to be uh, competing there. So we are really excited to have Dan Peel of UVA on the podcast with us today. Dan Peel was the outgoing president of the University of Virginia Mock Trial Association. He, during his time there, won multiple awards as both an attorney and a witness. Most recently, he got fifth place at the Trial by Combat, including earning the best theme in theory of all the competitors there. And in 2018 and 2019, he was on the UVA A-team that got second place in their Nationals division. So, Dan, thank you so much for being on with us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. So, Dan, uh, as we always start with almost all of our guests, let's begin with where you started Mock Trial. Can you just give us the background story? How did Dan Peel start doing Mock Trial? Sure. So, uh, so my freshman year of high school, I, you know, I, I didn't really do any sort of extracurriculars. Um, I, you know, I went to school, I came home, and I played video games all day. Um, and my mother, understandably, was not a huge fan of that. So we would always pretty consistently get into fights about how I needed to do more extracurriculars to get into college, you know, reasonable things like that. Uh, and so one day, uh, my freshman year, she was in the school for some reason, and she walked past one of those posters that had those little pull tabs at the bottom. Uh, and so she pulled one, she brought it home, she said, hey, this is for the mock trial team. I think it sounds interesting, <laughs> it might be something you wouldn't enjoy. Um, after which I took the pull tab and I threw it in the trash because I was <laughs> not interested. Um, so then fast forward to October the next year, um, after my mom and I had gotten into a huge fight about that, uh, I was in school before class started one day and the, my biology teacher who was the faculty advisor for the mock trial team came up to me and said, hey, I do this thing called mock trial. Uh, I think you might be interested in it. I think you could be good at it. I, you should come check it out. After which I was like, yeah, totally. I'm in. I love that. Um, and <laughs> I came home and I told my mom and she was happy that I decided to do things, but uh, was still not very happy that we had gotten into a huge fight about this exact thing. Um, and so I did it. I did it my sophomore year. I was a single-sided expert. Uh, we used old ANTA cases. Um, so I was like a PCSI expert. Um, and I almost quit after the end of my sophomore year, um, but I stuck with it for junior year, and by the end of that, I was hooked, um, and I attorneyed for the first time my senior year, and then by the time I decided on UVA, mock was one of the first things I was looking at. Well, I think that that brings us naturally to University of Virginia and joining mock trial there and all of the fun stuff that comes with being a part of the infamous UVA mock trial program. <laughs> so can you just give us kind of generally, how is UVA mock trial structured? I feel like it's one of those things that people talk about a lot as being one of the you know, most successful programs of all time. And can you just give us a little glance? What, what is it like being a part of UVA? Yeah, so it's really interesting coming in um, because, right, like I came in to UVA right after the 2016 final round, which we lost to Yale. Um, and so I, I had actually committed to UVA like two days before that round happened. So I watched the live stream um, and I was like, okay, well, they're not actually that good. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I came to UVA and right, it's, it's this huge structural thing that has a really set way of doing things. 
and you know this these coaches who have like real important jobs and these incredible people who all do these amazing things um and it it was sort of a big shift for me coming in because i in high school i hadn't really had a ton of structure in my team um uh, and so when i got to uva and came to a program that had this really established structure of like how things go how we do things both inside and outside of rounds uh i like I had a bit of a learning curve adjusting. I was like, some of this is really cool. Some of it I didn't buy at first. Um, so so I had you know, I had a learning curve, and I think most people who do high school mock, especially when they come into any program in college, um, has some sort of learning curve about how this program has an established way of doing things. And that was probably the hardest thing about transitioning to UVA. Um, but my first, like I... I think the structure of UVA is great. Um, like we, we have an e-board that's a combination of students and coaches. I think one of the things we do really effectively is sort of make it so that coaches and students can both have input and can both feel like there's a voice and it's, it's a good mix of making sure the students have ownership over things while still acknowledging that the coaches have experience that the students just don't. Hey, Dan, as you, as you were talking, I, I was kind of struck by something and, and this is a little bit of a, just a off the cuff question, but you know, we talked on our last episode about AMTA's decision to ban scouting for uh, the next in-person season that we have. You guys are a team that gets scouted a lot. And that's the specific context that I wanted to ask this question in. What do you think about that? Not necessarily from the perspective of, of scouting, but as a team that gets scouted, is that something that ever bothers you? Did you have any reaction to AMTA deciding to, uh, ban scouting for the next in-person season? So I've never personally been bothered by scouting um, because like as much as we get scouted, we are notorious for scouting as well. Um, And so I've never personally had a problem with it. I mean, like if a scout is being disruptive in a round, obviously that's an issue. But beyond that, I mean, it's like, it's, it's weirdly kind of a flattering thing to be like in a round one and look back and see that every seat is full. He's like, oh, every team wants to see what we're doing. Um, and I I think that specifically about Anta's decision, I see the logic behind it. Um, I personally would probably not have done it um, I like because I don't have an issue with scouting, and I know that like, Drew has talked on the podcast before about how like he went to watch the downtown before him, right? And the opportunities to go see those kinds of rounds, um, yeah. even if it's not for the competitive advantage, is worthwhile enough. Like, even if it happens once, and even if there's literally one person who sees a good round and is like, oh, I'm going to work really hard at this and get super into mock trial, like, I think that's worth whatever competitive issues there might be, right? Because at a fundamental point, this is supposed to be an educational activity. Yeah, you know it's it's funny that you mentioned uh, the scouting thing, Ben and, and Dan. I I don't think I've ever mentioned this story to you, Dan. But a funny thing that happened to me at Orcs my junior year was in our second round. There was a scout from UVA in the room. Um, we were obviously at the same Orcs that year, and we had an issue with one of our judges where they didn't go to the judges meeting and they just kind of walked in and sat down and. Like they were there early and both us and the other team we were with, uh, I 
I'm 90% sure it was Patrick Henry. Um, we're kind of like, well, we can't say any. I mean, like, how can we say like, oh, you're not supposed to be here as competitors? It's really awkward. And we didn't have a coach in the room. They didn't have uh, their coach in the room at the time. And so we were both kind of like looking at each other like, what do we do? And luckily there was a scout from Virginia in the back of the room that texted the, uh, the people running tab at the time. And they were able to come in and say, Hey, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be here and get that taken care of. So it, I mean, I just thought it was a funny story having someone from UVA. I wanted to mention it. It, it, it is interesting that I think that that's obviously a rather unusual usage of scouting, but it's just kind of an interesting thing that can happen from time to time. And maybe it's not terrible. But I, I agree with what you said, Dan, and I think that, that the, the educational benefit is is so important. And I'm I'm at least glad that they're keeping scouting for rounds three and four, which are those high, high rounds. Yeah. Um Dan, I, I want to move on to nationals. And obviously, you know, there was no nationals this year, which I, I, I kind of want to hear what your thoughts on that were and how that was for you guys as a program, but particularly under the lens of as a program that had made the final round two years in a row, to then get second place back to back. You know, how was that? What was that like going through it for you guys? I mean, I think that there's pretty much not another team in the country that would ever be disappointed by second place. And I don't want to put that in your mouth, but you know, what was it like for you guys? Yeah. So I think my honest answer is that it probably depends on the day. Um, I, I can't speak for anyone else. Um, right. But like from my own standpoint, I was in high school and I was aware of what was happening when we finished runner up in 2016. Right. And then my first year at UVA, like we don't win any invitationals. The team had been like super cocky early on. Everyone was really ready to go. Um, But then obviously we get to nationals and we have two teams there and we do really, really well. Um, and it was and it was weird from my standpoint, right? Because we had a decent amount of turnover between my first year and my second year. And it was like there was pressure to you know try to get back to the final and try to repeat and try to you know have a third straight in a row Yale UVA final. Um, and at the same time, like that that seems silly to sort of put the same pressure when like when people like Ali Piacenti had just graduated, who was this humongous part of the 16 and 17 teams. And so I vacillated between those a lot. And honestly, I still do. Um, like, I'm a competitive person. Obviously, I was disappointed um, because it, you know, we went into nationals with the goal of wanting to win. That was the goal we had set ourselves for the entire season. And so obviously falling short of that, we weren't happy with and we were disappointed about. Um, I wouldn't, yeah. I, I mean, we were disappointed about second. Um, we were, I think I would say disappointed, but satisfied, if that makes sense. I think it's uh, a fair answer. Right? Like, yeah, like we weren't freaking out and we weren't, you know, throwing things against the wall because we finished second in the division. Um, but we were obviously disappointed that we weren't able to get what was our ultimate goal. And I think in particular, when you think about just how close some of these things are. I mean, it's, you know, one or two points on a single ballot that makes the difference in these things. And I think that makes total sense. Right. And and that was actually part of the the difference between those two years for us was that my second year in Minneapolis, uh, we, we finished second in the division, but we finished like two ballots or something like that behind mm-hmm. Miami because they went 11 and one. Right. So we were second, but it wasn't like we were actually close. <laughs> right. Like, it, 
we weren't going to get in the final. Even if we had swept our round four, we weren't going to get in the final. Um, and so that was easier to sort of deal with mentally than third year was in Philly uh, when, right, we have Rhodes round four and we had like the minus one ballot that if it goes the other way, we make the final, right? That's more difficult to deal with than it was in Minneapolis. Ah, uh, Philly Nationals. Uh <laughs> I I have similar thoughts about Philly Nationals on the other side of the division, but uh, all of that makes a lot of sense. And and I'm actually specifically curious about something else that happened uh, recently. So so Drew mentioned that the 2020 Nationals, of course, uh, was canceled. You guys had qualified for 2020 Nationals. It was going to be your uh, senior season, but. Before we get to trial by combat, which is kind of our next topic, what was that like for you guys behind the scenes, right? I remember, uh, like, you guys, I think, got your bid a couple hours before we did or something, and I had started talking to uh, one of your coaches about maybe doing a pre-national scrimmage, and then right three, four days later, we're we're postponing the whole tournament. So behind the scenes for you, uh, what was that like with sort of not having to, not not getting to go to nationals your senior year? Yeah, I mean, so that that was, I mean, for everyone, right? But that was an absolutely insane four days. Um, yeah. Ben, you were very kind there in not saying that um, what had happened was, right, that our A team didn't qualify and our B team did. Um, and so the other thing that was sort of looming there that we never actually ended up having to sort of address how it would go was what would be the composition of the team that we were going to send to Nationals. Um and to this day, I don't know. I don't think anyone does. Anyone knows what it was going to be um, because you know, that week everything got canceled, right? But those sort of three or four days and then the weeks following were really sort of up and down, right? Because, was, I mean, it's following up on the, the question before, right? I, I had had two years of coming really, really close to what the ultimate goal was. Um, and so I had come into my fourth year, you know, being really gung ho. It's like, I want to go out by winning nationals. Um, and so I'd, you know, been working really hard the whole year. Right. And then like, we sort of hit a high in January, but then orcs happens. And so I'm trying to simultaneously reconcile like what happened at orcs? How can we improve that? Am I even going to be competing at nationals? What will that team look like? Um, and all of those things are trying, trying to figure out how to, how I feel about those at the same time that everything's getting canceled, right? The, at the same time that I, I think I got a notification that the NBA was getting canceled at right after I had gotten off the phone with someone talking about, um, what we were going to do for nationals. And so it was this weird sort of two things going side by side about me trying to figure out like how I would feel if the thing happened that didn't look like it was going to happen. And it was, yeah, it was a really weird time. Yeah, it was. I mean, I remember so clearly being uh, at like a Saturday night social thing at the Lancaster Orcs and just, you know, talking to a bunch of different people, coaches, board members, whatever, and nobody really understanding what that next week was going to be like. Uh, so it was a, it was a strange period of time. And obviously we've had quite a few, you know, strange stretches of time over the last uh, weeks and months. Uh, but one thing that happened very recently uh, was trial by combat. Uh, 
so you got to participate. You, you took fifth place at Trial by Combat, and you got to participate on behalf of UVA. Uh, so I think my first question related to TBC was just how was it for you? That's such a unique experience uh, to do as a competitor or as a coach. And, and you know, this year was even more unique because it was done over Zoom and was really only the second major tournament you know ever done over zoom for mock trial obviously at the undergrad level it really was the first one so uh what'd you think of your experience at tbc oh it was so much fun um right i loved every minute of it right like uh, so obviously initially i had applied hoping that it would be in la and i <laughs> i probably still think that if it had been in la it, it, it might have been a little more fun um but it, I mean, it was so much fun, right? Like I got to work with a couple people who are amazing and who I've worked with for a long time or who are going to be stepping into sort of bigger leadership positions next year, right? Like my second chair was our incoming president, um, a guy named James Orr. And, and I mean that, it was so much fun, right? Like I literally worked out of my basement. Um, like at, for lunch, I could go upstairs and get something out of the fridge or I could drive five minutes to the McDonald's that's near my house. And it right, it was this weird sort of combination of like things I had done in high school and things I hadn't done since high school with doing this activity and this competition that has become such a big part of my life in the time since I've graduated high school. Um, and I mean, TBC itself, like it's intense, it's insane. There's so much going on, um, but it was so much fun, right? Like do, being able to do the rounds. I, I yeah, it might have been the most fun I've ever had at a tournament. Well, I, I wasn't counting. I think you said fun at least five or six times. <laughs> um, but I, I think that that's that's obvious to people that got to watch. It seems like a really really just enjoyable event to be a part of. Was that your Dan Stern moment? <laughs> I mean, you know, how many times did he say it? <laughs> hey, I mean, he's UVA. I have to do it right. I mentioned the 2016 final, and Drew has to jump. <laughs> well. Dan, uh, it's funny that you say that it was all fun. I, I think that there's a moment that you know everyone has talked about a lot, and we were fortunate enough to ask Sonali's opinion on this. But I, I want to ask yours when when Sonali asks uh, you to be her witness for that that final round, and you have to say, "Oh, well, actually, uh, I'm already going to be working with Sydney, and I've already agreed to that," and you get called the most sought after witness in America. What was going through your mind? What, what was happening in that moment for you? I mean, it was the most, it was simultaneously the most flattering and the most embarrassing experience in my <laughs> entire life. Um, right. Because on one hand I have these two incredible advocates who have just made the TBC final being like, Dan, we want you. Um, and on the other, right. Like I'm sitting in my basement. Um, I've had a, I was, I had a beer earlier with my coach <laughs> Uh, and right, and I'm, I hear this, and the only thing that's going through my head is that I have to get on this call, I have to say I'm already paired with Sydney, and I know that my teammates are just going to absolutely destroy me for this, <laughs> right? And they did, and they they came through. To be fair, it was more than just your teammates. I think right. you got <laughs> literally everyone, right? And you could, and I think you guys mentioned this before when you talked to Sonali about it, but it was Justin's face. When I oh, exactly. That is the funniest thing. Kid in the candy store. Gigantic grin. Because, um, yeah, it was just insane. Um, and I, I got thoroughly roasted for it afterwards. But obviously, it was super flattering, too. 
Well, on a certainly happier note overall, I mean, I'm sure that's a, a fun moment, as you've said, um, but you also won the, the best theme in theory uh, of all the advocates there. And, you know, now that the Gladiator tournament has happened with the same case, now that, you know, the trials have become publicized on YouTube, can you tell us, like, what, what was that theme in theory? And maybe what do you think it was that separated those, uh, those themes from the rest of the pack? Yeah, so one of the, right one of the things that's unique about TBC is how you have to very deliberately think through how you're going to win each check. Um, and the theme theory one is one we had spent a decent amount of time beforehand discussing very deliberately how do we want to win this check. And we, we sort of came up with two guiding principles, um, one of which was that we, we wanted to narrow our cases as much as possible. Because the theory was on the 24-hour turnaround that you're going to be pretty limited in like your ability to explain a lot of things clearly. So the way to fix that is just do fewer things. Uh, and then the second was that it's pretty typical in Anta to try to find some super rhetorical, flashy theme um, that makes a judge go, wow. Um, and, and we, like during our prep stuff, we tried that and it never really fit. Um, and so we just sort of came up with the idea that what we wanted to do for our themes was just state very, very plainly in as concise a way as possible, what is our case? Um, and so I, um, I mean, they're on YouTube now, so who cares, but it's, it's, um, our P theme was drug dirt DNA, which is classic UVA. Um, and then our D theme was, um, a disappearance, not a death, because we our D theory was that the guy who allegedly had been killed was actually alive in Costa Rica and had just left the country. Um, and so we made very sure that like both of our themes were just very very clear about what our case was, and we just said that. Uh, and so I think if I had to guess, I think the reason we got more checks on that is because just out of, out of sheer clarity, um, right? Because it's not, it's not like anyone came up with this amazing rhetorical theme that somehow encompassed their entire case too. And we prioritize more finding a theme that fit our case rather than trying to do one that sounded prettier. I think that's really an interesting kind of outtake from a lot of this. I think that trial by combat, because of the short prep time, because of the lack of witnesses, because of the shortness of the trial, you know, it's almost a time where, that really clear salient theme is going to stand out more than trying to do something kind of flashy and crazy that may not land as well. So that's, I think that's really interesting, you know, feedback to hear from someone that's done it. Well, Dan, I, I want to sort of move us forward a little bit. And I, I want to, before we get to one last time, I kind of want to gauge how you're feeling going into it. And with the, the kind of feeling of, okay, you, you didn't get to go to nationals this year. In the last two years, you've gotten second when you did go. You were the first out of the trial by combat finals. Is there any sense of like, okay, the, the stars have just been working against me all this time. Now it is time for them to align and for Dan Peel to finally win uh, and get first place at a, a tournament. Um, how are you feeling about going into one last time? Drew's really asking the hard-hitting questions here. What can I say? Right, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going in on it today. <laughs> um, so I, th I, think, I think my answer to that is that one thing I, I've always sort of thought and one thing I've tried to convey to people is that 
if your mock trial experience comes down to the point that if you don't win, it's not worth it or you regret doing it, then you're doing something wrong. Um, right? Because hmm. getting the most out of doing this activity is about so much more than just whether or not you win. Obviously, I'm a competitive person. I, if I go to a tournament, I want to win. I would like to win OLT. That'd be nice. Um, but I think the way I sort of approached it during the year is a pretty similar way to how I'm approaching it now is that I'd like to win, but it's not the end-all be-all. I'd like If I win, but I had a terrible time, I probably would be less happy than if I had a great time and came in second. Yeah, I mean, I think even before everything happened with the pandemic and the season shutting down, that was true. But now even more so in the midst mm -hmm. of what's going on, like this activity, it's about more than just, you know, wins and losses. I mean, I'm the same way as you, Dan. Like, obviously, do I like winning? Of course I like winning. But um, do I also really like the fact that I get to you know, coach incredible students and make great friends and build this community of people that, you know, are going to be people that I hopefully stay connected with for a very long time and, you know, meet people like Drew, who I decided to, you know, start a crazy endeavor like, uh, like this. It, it, <laughs> it, it's so much bigger than wins and losses. And, and I, I'm really glad you said that because it's, it's hard. Sometimes I think it's hard to keep that perspective in mind. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree, right? And and don't get me wrong, there are times where I have had sort of the 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 sentiment that Drew expressed in the question. Um but I I think I always come around to being like I understand that it's a little bit crazy to say I finished second in my division twice and I'm really upset about that. And I try to acknowledge that. And I look at like the relationships I've made, like Ben, you were saying, mm -hmm. um, and the things that are going to stay with me even as I'm graduating. Um, and right, and those are the reasons that I stuck with it and did so much work on it. Uh, and so I'm not, it's not like I'm treating winning OLT as the end all be all. You know, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that, Dan. I mean, obviously I was, you know, leading a little with my question, but I, I think that it's such a great answer. And I mean, look, as a, cute moment i mean you mentioned it in your kind of fun fact at trial by combat but clearly mock trial has extended beyond just the world of uh, of mock trial and into you know your your daily life and your social life and everything and i think that that's it, it's a great takeaway for everyone to have of you know this is just more than than just you know going out there and trying to win so that's great yeah. the best part about the tbc fun fact was just enabling me to cause as much chaos as possible <laughs> Look, if if you want to cause chaos, Justin Bernstein will let you. Go. <laughs> that's, that's the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we've mentioned it a couple times, so let's talk one last time. Um, this is such an interesting thing, and I actually, when Drew and I talked about one last time for the first time, I was kind of like, "eh, I'm not that into it." I've kind of come around. Um, I think I'm excited for, like, I don't think I really realized that the the whole thing with mixing programs was going to be as interesting as it was until the teams list came out. And the teams list is really interesting. It has like just some fascinating, you know, it has some, some great teams that are all from one program. And then it has some really interesting teams from a mixture of programs, your team, Dan, it's got you obviously from UVA. And then you've got 
a competitor from Yale and two competitors from Tufts. So how did that team come together? And what do you think about the notion of getting to do a mock trial tournament with people who aren't, you know, in the same program as you? So the team came together um, sort of apropos of my fun fact. Um, <laughs> I, I have a particular connection to Yale that uh, made me more able to reach out to Kai and ask if he was going to participate in the tournament. Because I, I was sort of on the fence, too, at the beginning. Um, but I reached out to Kai, and he said he was going to, and then I decided that I was going to. Um, and then Yale and Tufts are pretty tight as programs. So then Kai reached out to someone on Tufts, and we got connected with Leo and Alana, uh, who are the two competitors from Tufts. Uh, so that, that was how the team came to be. It's, it's really interesting working with people who come from different programs, especially, I'm circling back around to the beginning, especially when you come from a program that is you know, as established as UVA is and has such a set way of doing things, um, right? And you come in and you don't really sort of realize how each program has just such different norms about how they operate. Right, even like style of doing mock trial and how they prepare, but even sort of basic stuff about like how often they meet and what do they do at practices um, are norms that every program gets used to, but you don't realize how those can be different between programs. And so it's actually, it's been a really cool experience sort of talking with them before the case came out and then working with them once it's been out and trying to you know, find a middle ground between those norms, especially right, like. Yale, Tufts, and UVA are all good programs, but there are, like, if you could come up with quintessential sort of style differences, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's more, it's difficult to find sort of a wider gap than Yale, Tufts, and UVA. And, and you know, Dan, I, I'm so glad that, that you kind of brought this up already, but the, I think that this is such a cool opportunity um, obviously for you as a competitor to get to compete with people that you wouldn't have normally gotten to compete with, but for everyone else just to watch the convergence of styles you would just never get to see normally. I think that it, it, it's amazing to look at how different um, stylistically teams become and, and how that becomes, you know, members identities and that's that's how they do mock trial is almost because that's the way that their program has done it and teaches it and to get to combine you know Yale and UVA and Tufts and I mean Tufts obviously has had a tremendous tremendous season they have a massively successful senior class but I mean Yale UVA they have been the discussion topic the the warring tribes for the last four or five years i mean this is this is what mock trial has been about and i think that this is, this is the worst mafia movie i've ever seen <laughs> all right well look <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you though I'm, I'm just so excited to get to see you and kai get to work together in some way um because as you said i mean it, it just you couldn't really get more different but equally sort of successful right so i'm i'm really excited to see it i'm excited to see how it comes together and i want to ask you dan do you think that working with people from other programs is going to be overall a hindrance or a positive? Uh, I'm going to pick option C and going to say both. <laughs> okay. Um, Good mock trial competitor. Right. <laughs> uh, and it's because I think there are positives and negatives. Um, I think, right, the positives of working with people from your own school are obvious. You know who they are. You know what they're good at. You know how to work with them, et cetera. Uh, but I think... I think the biggest positive of working with people from different schools 
is sort of figuring out how you can approach finding the middle ground between the differences in the way your programs do things, right? Like the final product between what UVA puts out and what Yale puts out and what Tufts puts out are pretty different things. But then you boil it down and, and you think, okay, actually like 70% of what we do is the same and the fundamentals are all the same and it's just what we do with that last 30% that makes the difference. And so finding like pulling the good things but trying to leave out the bad things. And I think the biggest disadvantage for teams that are all one school is, is sort of that you don't have someone to push on those blind spots, right? Like when, when you get a set way of doing things, you get really entrenched in that and you get used to thinking like this is the right way of doing things. And it, like I'm quoting every criminal declosing ever, you get tunnel vision about what, what is the right way to do mock trial. Um, and you can't really see sort of the things that are causing you to maybe not reach as, as, as high as you could. Uh, and so I think that's actually one of the biggest benefits of working with people from different schools is that you have people to push on those those weak spots um, and try to find a middle ground that gets the best of each program but leaves out the worst. So, Dan, to that point, I mean, I'm really curious about this. Are, let me just ask this brief question first. Are you guys being coached? And if so, by whom? No, we are not being coached. We are doing it on our own. Uh, so the reason I asked that is I was kind of intrigued. I mean, Yale and Tufts are kind of quintessential student-run programs, and UVA, obviously, one of the quintessential coach programs. So what is it like, you know, getting to do mock trial without a coach then? You know, is are there elements of it that you're missing? Are there elements of it that you're liking? Kind of what is it like for you making that transition? It's actually not as big of a difference as you might think, um, because I I have just transitioned to treating Leo and Alana and Kai sort of as I would treat my coaches, which is like I I do something, I give it to them for feedback. I, I look at their feedback, I'm like, okay, what do I like? What do I not? Um, and right, and it's sort of what I said in the last answer too, is that they they push on the things that I've sort of gotten entrenched in and the the habits that I have. Um, and that's actually a really effective, you know, quote unquote coaching thing, is that they can call out those things and make me think, okay. Why do we actually do this? Is it a good thing to do? Should we do this for this tournament? If And if not, what are we going to do instead? Well, I think that that's, I mean, it, it's great to hear that you guys are, are working so well together. Um, what, what exactly is your preparation like at this stage? Are you guys planning any scrimmages with other teams? Have you shown what you guys are working with to anyone else? I mean, is is this kind of just an insulated four-person group and you're just, you know, are you meeting every day? Like, what what's the process been like? We're doing most of the prep insulated. Um, we're we're meeting most every night, um, talking about where we are, running things, everyone giving feedback, stuff like that. Uh, we're having a run through where we have people from our programs. We're gonna have people from our programs watch uh, and like all of our stuff run in order and give feedback as more of an outside perspective, um, which hopefully will go well. Um, but mo most, most of it is the four of us, um, working on our stuff, helping each other, leaving comments on each other's Google docs, stuff like that. 
Well, we, we've talked about, you know, your prep process and your thoughts on the tournament itself. But of course, I'm sitting here looking at the teams list, and I have to imagine that you all have also looked at the teams list. So uh, I know you're not going to sit here and break down the entire teams list, uh, but you've obviously faced a fair amount of the competitors on this list. In fact, several of the competitors on this list were at Trial by Combat with you this year. So are there any particular teams that kind of stand out to you as teams, whether they're teams you're interested in playing, uh, teams that maybe you think you'd particularly enjoy playing, or any other team on the teams list that jumps out to you as a fellow competitor? Uh, so so right off the bat, uh, I, I want to talk about the swing team, uh, because that's the one that has the only other UVA person on it. Uh, and I'm not going to out him here, because he would get really mad at me, but uh, Kevin Baker is on that team and he he's a teammate of mine and like he's hilarious and i was so excited for the possibility of hitting him because it would be fantastic <laughs> if i could um be on the swing team um i i mean i think that the team that i'm probably most wary of is either like team 36, which is um, Stephen Becker, Sonali, Georgia, Layla, Elias Nybard, and Isabel Pentland, right? Which is more than half TBC people. Um, <laughs> or team 59, which is the Ohio State team. Um, because that's, right, that's Matt from TBC. Maddie's awesome. Anna obviously won the online competition, and Drew's great too, and they're all from the same school. Um, so like those, those two are you know, really different profiles, but I mean, if I had to say teams that I was wary of, it'd probably be them. Yeah. Th- those were two that jumped out to me as well. And, and you know, it's interesting. I was surprised when I saw this team's list by how many trial by combat competitors were on here. Right. I, I kind of thought, and, and I apparently was completely wrong in this, but I kind of thought that maybe the trial by combat field for the most part would say, okay, we did TBC. That was a great sort of last experience. And one last time, you know, maybe I'm going to sit that one out, but there are multiple teams. You know, you mentioned one team with uh, two trial by combat competitors. There's also team 26 with both Josie and Julia on it. Um, So you've got multiple, and then there's several other TBC. I know Bree Goodchild's in there. Harsha from Georgia tech is in there. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing one or two names. Uh, that we haven't mentioned yet. There were three on on that team thirty six. There are three, just to clarify. Right, right. Stephen yeah, yeah. Sonali and Elias. Elias right, right. Um, and so right, but then there's another team with with multiple and, right, and it's right. so from a trial by combat competitor perspective, Dan. Right, was there ever any thought about like maybe TBC is the the right way to finish, or was sort of just the opportunity to get to do a little bit more mock trial just kind of too good to pass up? So I think I'm kind of, I'm probably a little bit unique among the TBC people in that, right, I graduated, but I graduated um, without sort of a big class of other graduating people. Because I think one of the interesting things about a lot of the TBC people in this field, right, is that like Bree, Matt, Harsha, Josie, are all doing it, and Steven and Sonali, too, are all doing it with people from their school. Um, right, and so that's sort of easier to profile as they did TBC, now they want to have, like, a last hurrah with the people who they've been competing with for four years. 
so they do one last time. Uh, from a personal standpoint, I am just a extremely large mock trial nerd. Uh, <laughs> and so, right, it's, I, I had a moment where I was like entertaining whether or not to do it. And then um, I don't remember who I was talking to, but someone just looked at me and said, Dan, stop being dumb. You're obviously going to do it. So you might as well get ready for it now. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's fair. You know, I, I think that it's so interesting just talking about one last time. I think that it's interesting to me because the the fact that there are some that are some programs that are kind of it's all from one sorry some teams that are all from one program and some that are kind of this unique opportunity to to blend teams. It, it's such a special and unique time that we're really never going to get to see again. And I I know that I'm very excited to see the results. I'm sure you're obviously excited to compete, Dan. Um, but I think Ben probably shares this with me that I mean, obviously it's unfortunate that nationals was canceled but i i'm just so excited to see one last time happen because i think we're just never going to see something like this again i hope that we do i hope that this becomes something more common i mean i i don't really see a reason why we can't do something like this more often in the future but i just think i mean either for those seniors to get to finish off the season together when they've been together for so long or for you know those relationships you've built with other programs for you to get to finally compete with them. I know I've talked with a bunch of other people about it. I mean, how cool would it be if there was a tournament where we could finally get to compete together? I mean, Ben, we've joked about what if there was an alumni tournament and, and you know Ben and I could get to compete together. I mean, like how fun would that be? And uh, look, I, I just think that this is such a great opportunity. It's such an exciting thing to be a part of. And I'm looking forward to getting to see you compete, Dan. So I guess thank you for, for being on the podcast, for, for talking to us, for sharing some of your time and giving us a little insight into what UVA is like, to what Trial by Combat was, and to what one last time we can expect. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was a lot of fun. Welcome back to the Mock Review. It was great to have Dan Peel on to discuss the One Last Time tournament. We recorded that segment uh, just a little bit earlier than we're recording the second segment. So I was just on the Zoom call with the organizers of the One Last Time tournament that they did for people who are going to be judging at the tournament. Uh, I'm really excited to be judging at the tournament. I'm judging two rounds on Sunday. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting a little bit more experience with uh, virtual trials. Drew, there's a couple things that uh, you know you and I have discussed behind the scenes that I think will be interesting about this tournament. And uh, this past uh, weekend, UMBC did a series of Zoom scrimmages as well. Uh, So between those and Trial by Combat, you know, I've gotten to do a few things now. And the first thing I kind of want to flag that I think is going to be really interesting and really complicated, uh, more complicated than I think people really realize for this upcoming year, is timekeeping, right? So we're very used to visual timekeeping. Everybody's got their different ways of showing time. Um, And I think there are two specific issues that we haven't quite solved yet. The first one is just basically timekeeper communication. There's not that instantaneous communication. You know, the Zoom chat feature is fine, but you don't have that instantaneous ability to look over at your timekeeper's card, kind of make sure you're on the same page, whisper to each other, you know, just the things that timekeepers do to make sure they're on the same page. I think it's going to be hard to replicate that. The second thing is, that at least in the formats we've done so far, the timekeepers are not on the screen. Um, so 
if you're, you know, for trial by combat, for example, uh, Ethan was in the same room as Sydney and he had our timekeeping binder, but of course he was doing a number of different things. And, uh, you know, she had to look over to him in the room in order to uh, see how much time she had left. Uh, but in this format, in the one last time tournament, the uh, competitors are not permitted to be in the same room as each other. So I wonder if, you know, there's usually those four boxes on the screen. Uh, and then for closings, uh, there's usually uh, two or three, uh, depending on whether the other closer has their video on or not. Uh, I think you may have to allow a timekeeper on screen for uh, closings specifically, and maybe also for the second direct or the second cross, because if you don't have that visual reference point for how much time you have left, you could easily run out of time and, or end up in a time dispute. So I, I think that specific issue is something that we're still trying to figure out how to solve. I totally agree with the sort of the uh, standard that has kind of been set to only have a maximum of four people on the screen at one time. I think that's really clean and works really well, but I don't quite know uh, how that's going to work moving forward. Uh, Drew, we had been talking about uh, the timekeeping rules, and you had noticed also another rule specifically related to timekeeping that you thought was interesting. Yeah, I did. So one of the things that is a, a change in the rules specifically for one last time is in the, uh, the, the trial procedures, it says that each participant as an attorney will have a specific 25-minute timer for that attorney. And what is interesting about that is that that means that if you are the opener and you only spend five minutes on your opening, you have a full 20 minutes for your now direct and cross, which is a lot more time than people tend to be used to. On the other hand, if you're closing and you take a typical nine or 10 minute closing, you only have 15 or 16 minutes for that direct and cross. So it's going to be a very, very different amount of time that you have to do both of those examinations. Um, I, I think that what Ben said is totally true. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how people encounter timing on Zoom. I know from what I've experienced so far, just through the, the mock-on camp when I judged it in their last session, we didn't really worry that much about timing, so it wasn't a huge factor. Um, but they, they had an actual timekeeper on there that was keeping time and would announce like you know five minutes left at those different intervals. And that, I think, seemed to work pretty well, but that was also fairly loose with it. It wasn't too much of a concern. So I agree, Ben, that I'm really interested to see what exactly One Last Time does about this. And in particular, because there is that specific constraint on each individual competitor, you know, how is that kept track of? And then, you know, the important thing being, if you're closing and you get to, you know, nine minutes left on your cross, you may want to know, hey, I need to stop at nine minutes because I need to make sure I have time for my closing. And, yeah. you know, without the, that constant reference point to check, it's, it's going to be nearly impossible for people to know how much time they have until they say, you know, May I inquire to the timekeepers how much time I have remaining? Um, and I think that if, if there is no way to check it all the time, people may be in for a either very rude awakening or a very you know, <laughs> blissful joy when they ask that question. Um, so I certainly think that that's going to be an interesting change and something that we all just need to adjust to now in this new online format. Yeah. And, and as you were saying that, I'm sort of thinking through like from a competitor standpoint, how do you, you know, like if you're uh you know, if someone on your team is keeping time for you, I guess you could have the chat window up constantly in like a separate window so that you can see it. Um, but, you know, that doesn't really solve the problem of uh, if you're standing up, you're a little bit further away. If there's a dispute in time, uh, I think it's solvable. It might honestly just mean we have to sacrifice a little bit of that clean look 
Mm -hmm. uh, on the Zoom screen and have more than four people on the screen at one time. Or maybe, you know, we've kind of had this convention of, you know, the other attorney always appearing on screen, but maybe that's not necessary. Maybe you're in a world where if it's just a direct, uh, the crossing attorney, the, the attorney who's about to cross, doesn't have their video on and instead the timekeeper does and only turns it on for objections or or something. I don't know. There's a lot of cumbersome things we have to figure out, but I think it's going to be a challenge for these competitors. And I am looking forward to seeing, you know, without having to uh, have to worry about my own students messing it up. I'm looking forward to seeing how the competitors handle it. Yeah, I will definitely say, I think it would behoove teams to have some form of coordination on behalf of the, you know, the team itself. You know, whether it is your co-counsel, you know, keeping track of time themselves and saying, hey, buddy, like, you know, just as a quick message in the Zoom chat, hopefully they're able to see that and say, like, hey, you only got, you know, 10 minutes left. Make sure that you're kind of wrapping it up if you want to have time for your closing. Um, things like that will probably be very, very helpful for them. Um, but I mean, I even know that it extends to witnesses. I mean, it's something that is part of mock trial when as a witness, if you see that you know the crossing attorney only has a minute left in their cross time, kind of say to yourself, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't need to be quite as uh, as easy on my answers now that they probably don't really have <laughs> enough time to cleanly impeach me. Not that people need to be gaming that, but it is an interesting aspect of mock trial that may be slowly going away with this online format. That's, that's actually, before we move on to our next topic, that's a great point. Like, it's, it's, is it a little underhanded? Sure. Does everybody do it? Of course they do. And, you know, like, it's, it is one of those things where you have to be prepared for the, uh, you know, with the other team. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it is a great example of when you have such a drastic switch, like this season is going to be, we're going to keep discovering little things like that, little things that we're so used to. They're like, oh, this is different now because of this format and and i think those are things we're only going to find when we start to actually do competitions like that so true so true well to move on to the the teams themselves and to kind of do a quick our once over review of the one last time teams um i think that the you know we already discussed this a little bit with dan about who he was on the lookout for um i think that what's interesting to me at looking at this is i am really intrigued about whether the, you know, okay, we're all from one program and we're, you know, we've been working together for a while. Can we keep that team chemistry going? Is is that going to work better than teams that are, as Dan kind of talked about, kind of trying to bring the best of both worlds together and bring the best of each program and say, okay, you know, we're going to take this thing that we like to do that works really well. And we're going to take this thing that they like to do that works really well. You know, is that going to come together and make some really, really amazing products that are better than what any one team individually does? And the beauty of this tournament is that we're going to get some really, really high quality teams on both ends of that spectrum. I mean, we have multiple teams that are from all from one program um, and a lot of them from very, very impressive programs that are going to be absolute contenders. Um, And then we have a couple of teams that are every single member from different teams. And I'm really intrigued to see which of those strategies or which of those team designs is going to work better. I certainly think that it can, it, it, you know, it probably won't be all all one is better than the other, but I think that we we should expect to see some some interesting analytics come out of this. Hopefully, that people can look at and say, "Oh, you know, it's intriguing to me that this team did so well." Um, Ben, let me let me ask you this question: If you had to choose right now, who, which, which type? And I'm saying type is in like all one program or an amalgam of programs. Which do you think is most likely to end up winning at the end of the day? It's a great question. I, I 
you know, it's interesting because I, I, I'll say this in, in theory, I think it will benefit the teams from the same program the most, uh, mostly because of the factors that Dan mentioned uh, in terms of like making sure that your process can match, that everybody has, if you're coming from the same program, hopefully at least you generally have the same process for how to attack a case. It's things as granular as what types of formats do you use to write directs and crosses? Do you have like a built-in like template that you guys use? Do you have, um, you know, sort of a, a like-minded approach to uh, preparing for a case and, and how to attack a theory? Uh, so it feels to me like that would be beneficial to um, teams that are from the same program. We also have multiple teams from the same program, you know, in the top 10 in power rankings, we've got a all UCLA team. Uh, they're currently ranked sixth. We've got an all Ohio state team. They're currently ranked eighth. It would certainly seem to me that those teams would get a bit of a benefit. Uh, that being said, I do think arguably the most powerful team uh, in this field, the one with the team 36 with three trial by combat competitors on it. Obviously that is uh, a combination of multiple programs. Uh, and I certainly think that that team could make a run, but if I have to choose, I think that the winning team will be a team all from the same program. I think that at the end of the day, in such a short time frame, uh, the value that that will provide uh, is going to outweigh the uh, benefit that can come from like a team 36 uh, or uh, team 26, which is the other team with two TBC competitors. And I would point to the UCLA team, the Ohio State team, the Georgia Tech team, uh, possibly the Georgetown team, uh, the Minnesota team, uh, these teams from perennial nationals uh, contenders as one of the teams that I would say would be most likely to uh, win the tournament. What do you think, Drew? I'll pose the same question to you. Um, which format do you think is more likely to win? So I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. And I think that for me, it comes down to the fact that when you've been working together for a long time, you know how each other, you know, you know how each of the different members work, you know what their strengths are, their weaknesses, you can help each other, you know what to expect out of them, that chemistry with writing and creating directs are going to be so fluid and easy. But I also think that those teams kind of already have worked out who's our, our strong opener, who's our strong closer, who's our strong character witness. I would expect that most of those kind of roles have almost already been decided because it's what people have been doing. Now, there's a possibility that people want to try something new. It's their last tournament, like sure. But what I would expect is that if you look at, you know, let's say Team 36, who's closing for that team? I mean, you have three, mem- you know, Sonali, Steven, and Elias who all competed at TBC who all have been very successful closers. I do think Sonali has opened for the record a lot. But, I mean, just looking at that, I mean, these are people that are all used to, you know, being the star of their team. And there is a, you know, a kind of need to step back and play kind of a, a be a role player sometimes that is needed to be really successful. That being said, I'm sure Team 36 and all the other ones that have multiple TBC members are still going to be very, very good. I'm just pointing out that I think it's going to be an interesting thing in that kind of team chemistry and, and kind of be working together early on stages. The one thing I'll say is this. 
I think that it's interesting to compare this to, you know, other sports where you have like an all-star team versus like the number one team in, in the the competition. If you look at like, let's just say we always talk about basketball. Let's, we looked at the NBA and you know, if you took an all-star team and put them against the Warriors, you know, the Bucks, whatever, um, you know, it, it would be a really interesting game. And I think that obviously in, in a sport like basketball, there's so much chemistry and there's, there's something to be said about that. And, on the other hand, it's also a very individual game, so it's an interesting argument to be made there. I think most people would say that the All-Star team is going to win just because it's such a you know individual, talented thing. And I don't know that we necessarily have a All-Star team in that same sense um, in this field, but I think it's an interesting comparison to make. And I will give the brief counter-argument to myself that like I think if I were choosing this in a basketball, I would say that the All-Star team is more likely to win. It's It's such an interesting balance between those two things and i wonder if as you were saying that i was thinking the one factor that could come into play here because we've spent a lot of time on this episode focusing on the uh teams that have trial by combat competitors on them i think the reason for that is something related to what we've identified in past episodes which is because the rest of this season was canceled this season a lot of seniors which this field is exclusively seniors did not have the opportunity, you know, three eighths of the country did not have the opportunity to go to orcs. And then of course we didn't have nationals. So a lot of people on this list did not have the opportunity to differentiate themselves. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much differently, I mean, I don't, we don't know if this competition would be happening if the season hadn't gone the way it did, but if we had the data, you know, how many people on this list were the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th people on, you know, Justin and Abby's list for trial by combat. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's not to disparage anyone who competed at trial by combat. It was an absolutely stellar field. But is there as big of a gap this year mm-hmm. between the trial by combat field and the non-trial by combat field? I would argue there probably isn't. Not because the TBC competitors aren't talented, but just because we don't have sort of that high-end data when you are put like mm-hmm. under the fire at nationals. We think about, you know, back to our episode with Devin, you know, they had were hoping to have five scoring judges in every trial. So our All-American data from this year would be razor sharp. We would know a lot about who are truly the best advocates in the country. And so there are almost certainly names on this list uh, who did not compete at TBC, who are not All-Americans, who you know could make some serious noise. I mean, I think about someone like Abby Pinson from FIU, who just constantly won awards in her time there, uh, who you know didn't compete at TBC, but I've seen and is extremely talented. Uh, and there are some other, you know, a lot of these names are from places around the country where where we just don't compete, so I don't I don't know them as well. Uh, but there's there's a ton of talent on this list, mm-hmm. and I could see a situation where a team that does not have any trial by combat competitors on it, but finds four pretty four or five pretty even competitors from different programs around the country finds the right groove and you know manages to be a solid team as opposed to like team 36 who i'm sure is going to be incredible but steven sonali and elias all have very different styles Mm -hmm. and i wonder is a team with maybe a little bit less star power like if they could do a little bit better in a competition like this yeah, it's so true. I mean, I, I think that it is going to be a question that we continue to ask ourselves, that we continue to look at. And I don't know that we're going to have an answer necessarily um, until the competition rolls around and we start to see how teams do. Um, I think that you, you bring up this great point, Ben, about, you know, 
obviously the trial by combat field is impressive and that's kind of the only metric we have to be evaluating like well just how good is this team you know how you know that's just kind of the most recent and the easiest thing to point to um but i i mean you you mentioned gabriel pinzon i mean that that team 58 they have the three core florida international um leaders for the last couple of years who took that program up from not existing to you know being an orcs level team and you know maybe that team cohesiveness you know stays even though they're not all from Florida International. Um, you know you add in a you know Stevenson member and a Drexel member, and they've you know I believe they've all gone against each other in the past. Maybe they find a way to gel and, and make something magical happen. Um, I think that it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, I come back to the fact that I think this is just such a cool opportunity for teams to to learn from each other in ways that you just never would normally get to. I mean, the the other thing I will I will argue for the the mixed teams is that you know you have this opportunity, especially when you're coming from a bunch of different parts of the country, um, to kind of combine what what works well in each of those different areas. I mean, I, I think that it's fair to say you know UCLA that team of all UCLA members they're going to do UCLA mock trial. You know, a lot of people that's going to be dramatic. It's going to be, you know, very flashy. And that's that's what they do. And they're really good at it. I mean, there's a reason that UCLA is sixth in the country. What, what do you think the odds are that the UCLA Stevie Rogers is in a white sweater? I'm going to go with 150 oh, percent. Sure. Gotta be. But to, to that point, though, right, like, is it maybe going to be that a team that combines a lot of those different styles around the country, you know, that maybe that team can put it all together and, and produce a really amazing product that can reach any judge that, you know, is judge immune to a certain extent of the different stylistic preferences. I mean, this is going to be a tournament that has judges from around the nation and you're not going to be able to predict, you know, Oh, you know, they're going to want this style. You need to be ready for mm-hmm. anything. And maybe that, that amalgam, maybe, you know, those different styles that you mentioned Steven Sonali and Elias having, maybe that means that no matter what, at least one of those judges is going to say, wow, I love the way that they do this. That's what works for me. So we both we both advocated for the the all one school teams, um, but I, I certainly think that it is not a, a open and shut case. I think that I am excited to see um, what exactly happens, and I do not think for a second that just because Ben and I felt that way that, that those teams don't have a shot. Yeah, in fact, I think you can make an argument. It might be the opposite <laughs> that all the all the mixed teams should feel great about the fact that we think that they're at a slight disadvantage. Um, let's talk real quick about the format before we wrap up. So. Uh, you know, the normal AMTA tournament is 3v3, trial by combat is 1v1. Uh, these are 2v2, uh, which is sort of the standard law school format. Of course, in law school, witnesses are not scored. Uh, it's just attorney scores, but this is, these trials will resemble, uh, law school trials, at least to some degree. Uh, the only thing I'll say about this is, uh, we are not privy to any inside information whatsoever, quite the opposite. We, we, you know, we know a fair amount of people between the two of us, but neither one of us is on the board. Neither one of us has any clue what the board is discussing behind the scenes. Uh, and so I do not want to overstate the possibility that AMTA may be considering like a 2v2 format for this upcoming year. I don't know if that's the case. I know it was mentioned briefly at the board meeting uh, on the live stream. So the only thing I will say to that is, I think it is good that AMTA is testing this format, that one last time can be a little bit of a guinea pig tournament to make sure, to to see what areas we need to figure out, what rules we need to fix, things like that. If uh, AMTA is considering 
switching from like a 3v3 to a 2v2 uh that can't we need to know that like now um it just for the interest of transparency and fairness it's something that has to be discussed and has to be i would argue voted on by the community uh if a change that dramatic you know the, the board of directors is an internally selected organization. We don't place them there as a community. So they're not designed to be a representative body. I think they attempt to act that way. But to make a change of that magnitude, I would argue must be discussed and even voted on by the community at large. Uh, Again, I'm going to kick it to you in a second, Drew, but I don't know. And I do not want to overstate how possible this is. I just know it was mentioned during the board live stream and I, I have to wonder if AMTA is at least looking at uh, one last time as a possible model for this upcoming season. Look, I think that we're even talking about this right now because on the off chance that AMTA does this and hasn't said anything, I at least hope that our listeners have started having the conversations of, okay, if this does happen, what do we do? Because I think that it's just, I mean, you people need to plan we're in august right now i mean we're used to getting the case in a little more than a week people have figured out what their schedule is what they're gonna do when they're gonna do it and to make such a monumental change like this without warning is just gonna be so so shocking so jarring and is going to make so many teams just in huge trouble and I, I think that it is so important that AMTA says something yesterday. I mean, like, if AMTA, it, look, look, if someone from the AMTA board is listening to this right now, and there are serious conversations that this might happen, please beg your fellow members of the board, post something. Just say, hey, guys, there's a chance that we might do this, because it is only fair to people that they have the opportunity to plan for this eventuality. I just cannot see a universe in which dropping it when the case gets dropped. Oh, surprise. It's only a two person uh, attorney or two, two person, two attorneys, two witness teams this year is going to go well. I, I just, there are too many teams that are not expecting that. And it would just destroy what they have planned. I think that, you know, I, I have already said before that I don't like when they change things right at the board meeting. I think that they should give us more heads up than that so we can give feedback. This is not even something that was on the agenda. This is not something that was even decided on at the board meeting when it was live streamed. To be doing something like this that affects everyone in such a big way behind closed doors just seems blatantly irresponsible to me. And I I just cannot emphasize enough, please, if this is seriously being considered, say something. Let us know so people can start to plan it out. I sincerely hope that it, if it is, I sincerely hope that it is not being seriously considered based on the fact that nothing has been said at this time. But I, I, I said before that I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I think that after one last time, I will have a more refined opinion on whether I think it is good or not. I think at this moment, I'm pretty against it. But I would be intrigued to see a plan. If, if there was a realistic plan in place for it, I would want to see it and be able to evaluate it and give it, you know, a fair thought, but I can only do that if I'm told about it. Um, and I think that just dropping it on people without warning is like I said, just, just blatantly irresponsible. Yeah. We will see what happens with a lot of things. Uh, I generally feel 
I mean, I agree with everything you said and, and like Drew already said, and I kind of said too, we, we, we don't know what's being discussed behind the scenes. I think that in and of itself, you could point to as a problem, but uh, in either respect, I know AMTA is doing their best to design this season. They're, they're having to make tons of changes in a short period of time. Uh, but I would argue that that makes communication. Here's my last point on this. If AMTA truly believes that the AMTA season starts in February, right? They love to sort of reap the benefits of invitationals without taking any control over them, right? So AMTA loves to, I would argue on invitationals, they largely have their cake and eat it too. Um, and that they don't really have to do any work. They get data. They require data to be submitted for these invitationals. Uh, but these are the types of things that we need to take the time, even if it messes up the beginning of the invitational season a little bit, uh, we need to take to take the time to get everything squared away and make sure that people and the community at large have input on what this season is going to look like. Cause that's the only way to make sure that we serve everyone that we meaning AMTA, uh, I'm not on the board, but I've served on some committees and things like that, that, that we as an organization serve the entire community. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's, that's what it really comes down to. Uh, you know, as you said, Ben, you know, the board is not necessarily a group of elected figures. They are people that are, you know, they, they are self-selected. And uh, I, I think that, you know, if you choose to put yourself in this position, you have a responsibility to the rest of this community to include them on a decision like this when it's going to affect them so drastically. Um, as you said before, again, this is not us saying this is happening. Um, if it does, we will certainly talk about it a little bit more. <laughs> I don't think anyone doubts that. Uh, exactly. I mean, right now, this is just us speculating and us kind of taking our guesses um, and, and just, you know, based on, on the, the whispers. Um, but as we said, if it is happening, we hope that more is said about it before that is officially announced. Um, I think that that about wraps it up for one last time. I will say that in looking to our, our future episodes, um, we recently posted both on Facebook and on impeachments that we are going to do another mailbag episode. We know that was very popular last time. And uh, I think that at least for me, I'm kind of getting those like pre-case jitters of like, oh my gosh, it's almost forgot to come out and I'm just like excited about it and I want to do more mock trial stuff and one last time is exciting, but it's not enough. I need more, so I want questions that we can answer. We can do another podcast on it. Um, so if you have questions, if you didn't feel like your questions were answered last time, please feel free to reach out to either one of us. You can use our Gmail account, the mock review at gmail.com. You can message us on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash the mock review you can comment on the the impeachments post post that we just made or direct message us on there i will say i do not check those messages as often as i would like but i will do my best to be checking it in the next coming weeks or so and ideally if we get a good number of questions and everything we could get a, another episode with that mailbag um responses out as soon as we can yeah i, I enjoyed our mailbag episode the last time uh, I'm looking forward to doing another one. If one of your questions is where can I uh, do law school mock trial at a top 50 institution with a great trial advocacy program, I'll have an answer ready for you. you uh, but in either respect, we are, I am really excited for one last time. I'm judging this upcoming weekend and we're looking forward to talking through some of the issues that people send in with questions. Drew, that I think that's about all I've got. You got anything else we should kick around before we finish up? 
Nope, I think I'm good. It was great talking to Dan earlier, and I'm excited to see how his team does and how all the teams that won last time do. And as you said, I'm looking forward to seeing exactly how that goes and how our predictions went. But other than that, I think till next time, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew.